0: Good morning. Isn't it a good day today? We have this privilege of, as believers, to come together and to worship the Lord and sing a thousand hallelujahs. And and now we're going to do, we're going to just continue that by looking closely at God's Word and allowing it to continue to shape our lives. Um, So we are working our way through the Lord's Prayer. We've actually been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, which is, where this is found, but we've decided, I've decided to take it really slow through the Lord's Prayer so that we can consider every petition that's there and really let it have its full weight as we learn to pray, letting Jesus teach us how to pray. Um, And so today we are going to hit the last petition, it's verse uh, Matthew 6.13, so if you have your Bibles, grab them, we'll be in Matthew 6, but I'm going to read first. Um, verses 9 through 13. So the whole um, prayer as we have been doing as we've gone through this. This is week six on it. We're done after this week with the Lord's prayer as far as preaching through it. I hope we're not done with it, but let's not be done with it. (laughs) So Matthew 6, 9 through 13. God's word says this. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray again. Lord, we stand in need of your grace. We are a people who need your grace. We see that. We know that. We're even joyful about that because we know that your grace is abundant and free. I stand in need of your grace this morning. I am a man who needs grace. And I am not sad about that because you have shown me so much grace. You continue to show me grace. And one day, grace is all I'll know. Father, as we consider what it means to pray like this, that you would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, I pray that we would at once feel the hurricane of sin and the wonder of your grace. I pray that we would not take lightly what you do not take lightly. I pray that we wouldn't take sin lightly. It's so easy to do and we're so prone to that. But Jesus Christ hung on the cross and bled and died because of the reality of sin in our place. So help us not to take it lightly this morning. And Lord, I know that there are many here who are struggling with sin today, all of us. Some are acutely feeling it. I pray that this would be encouraging to them, that they would, they would, they would see your grace in their struggle with pornography or with anger or with lying. That they would see your grace that overcomes those things in our lives. Freeze us from the grip that sin once held on us. I pray that you would work here this morning, Father. And Lord, I pray that the good news that our Lord Jesus Christ has stood in our place, has paid our sin debt, has risen to new life would be everything to us today. That that would be our hope as we see our own sin. And we would leave here clinging to the cross, believing and trusting in Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And I pray that you'd help me to preach this well this morning. For your name's sake, and in Jesus' name I pray, amen. As I was writing this sermon this week, as I was studying for it, there was a a monster storm bearing down on Florida, uh, coming ashore. And in fact, by the time I got around to writing this sermon, uh, it was making landfall. And it crossed right over the towns. of I'm from Florida. I grew up in Florida. And all my family, most of my extended family, rather, they live in Florida. And this thing made a Line over their house and crossed all their houses. The eye actually went over all of their houses. And it seemed like by the time I was writing this that we all knew that it would do that. And we all knew what those kinds of storms can do. Uh, these kinds of storms don't happen all the time, but they happen in Florida and they're devastating. In 2004 was the last time it happened like that and it was devastating. So people in Florida that I was talking to, and I was talking to people a lot, Uh, They were planning and preparing. They were boarding up their windows. They were getting their generators out. They were stocking up on water and food and supplies and candles because they knew they'd be without power. Most people prepare. I mean, you see a big storm like this coming, you prepare. Some people don't. Some people don't. Uh, Particularly when there's been a lot of like... Storms that almost hit and didn't, and everyone said the world's going to end and they don't hit. Um, that happens a few times, and people will stop preparing. And then a storm like this comes, and they're like, Whoa, right? Some people don't prepare. Some people don't board their windows up. They don't do any of those things. They don't believe it will be that bad. But then it is bad, and a storm like this humbles everyone. And then next time, they'll do whatever they can to prepare. No one boasts in their strength in the midst of a hurricane. No one. No one, no one, no one thinks, man, I'm awesome. When, it, when, the, when the winds hit 150 mile an hour sustained. Hurricanes like Ian, they humble us. And the reality is that we are just not as strong as we think we are. When it's sunny, it's easy to feel strong, right? When it's, everything's going your way, breezes at your back, it's easy to feel strong but we are not as strong as we think we are. And we're often reminded of that. Over and over again in the Bible, we are reminded of our great need of God and his grace in our lives. We're not as strong as we think we are. But the good news is he is stronger than we think he is. We can turn to him in our weaknesses and in our insufficiencies and our sin. As we saw last week, we can, we can turn to God in our sin, with confession and repentance. And this week we will see that we can turn to him in the midst of our battle against sin, our war with sin. As you've heard me say these many weeks, the Lord's Prayer is a template that Jesus has given us so that we might learn to pray. And we've taken it slowly because I've wanted to really dig in. How do we pray? So we spent a week on, Hallowed be your name. This petition that is asking God that his name might be made much of in our lives, in our churches, in our world, among the unreached people groups. that he'd be exalted and honored and made much of. We took a Sunday then to study and zoom in on your kingdom come and your will be done. This is us praying, Lord, have your way with us. Have your way. Your way is good. So have it in our lives. And have it in this world. Rule and reign in our hearts. Rule and reign in the universe. And then we spent a week thinking about what it means to pray for our daily bread. Our our daily dependence on God. You've heard me say it over and over again. This prayer is a, a declaration of dependence on God. You are depending on God for your daily needs. Physical, spiritual, all of them. And we do it day by day. And then last week, Sam Parker unpacked verse 12, our prayer of confession, praying and asking God to forgive us our debts. In that verse, we see our sin problem, and we see the answer to our sin problem, the only way we can be forgiven our massive debt. We cannot get out from under this. It must be a turning to God, and it must be by the grace of Christ. We see his grace, we see his forgiveness. Today, we address the other side of that sin problem. Verse, verse 12 is what we pray after we've sinned. Verse 13 is what we pray so that we might not sin. It's our acknowledgement of our need for God's help in our spiritual lives so that we would not sin, to have victory over our sin. And that's where we're going to dig in this morning. And for a format this morning, I, th- I thought it would be good to just maybe look at this for two, at, with two different angles, okay? One... Some things that this teaches us about ourselves. Looking at verse 13 and thinking about what that teaches me about me. And then what does that teach me about God? What does verse 13 teach me about God? Lord willing, my hope is that this will lead us to fight with renewed resolve against our sin. With all of the grace and all of the strength that God provides us. So what does this verse, verse 13, teach us or show us about ourselves? I I picked out four things. They're related, similar, but four things. First and most obvious, it shows that we are sinners. Of course, we already know that because of verse 12, right? We know we're sinners. We know that we have a sin problem because we have to confess our sins. We have debts. We have to ask His forgiveness. But we see in verse 13 and in verse 12 for that matter, is that our struggle with sin continues. As Christians, our struggle with sin continues. It's ongoing. We pray that God would not lead us into temptation because we do not want to sin and we know that we are prone to sin because we know that we are sinners. Most of us don't really need to be told that. Most of us intrinsically feel the struggle, right? Many, many of you need no convincing here. You, you know you struggle with sin, Some of you are in the throes of it right now. Some of you have been losing the battle against lust for some time. Some of you struggle hard with anger or with jealousy. Others struggle with the sin of gluttony and feel desperate to be free of the idol that food has become. Some are trapped in a rotating door of self-pity and then pride and then self-pity and then pride. Some struggle with bitterness. So I don't think that many of us need to be told, or maybe we do. I don't know. Maybe we do. Perhaps some of us need to be told this. We need to be reminded. There are likely some who think this morning, I don't struggle that bad with sin. The hurricane is not that bad. Just a little rain, a little wind here and there. I know I sin sometimes, but I don't have a struggle with sin. Some of you think that. You might be thinking that as I speak. It's not a hurricane. Self-righteousness and pride is what keeps many from turning to Christ by faith. Pride keeps many from seeing their need of God's enabling grace to find victory over their sin. Self-righteousness, when you think I'm basically good because all you do is go around comparing yourself to somebody else who's worse, it keeps you from realizing and owning your sin and turning to him by faith. And finding victory over that sin. It's what keeps many from praying like this. But here, and in the Sermon on the Mount in general, this message is clear. We are sinners. Now, I know that sounds like bad news, right? And, and it is. But neither this verse, nor the Sermon on the Mount, nor the Bible for that matter, leaves us There. But we do need to understand our need so that we will be humble enough to see and believe the good news, which we're going to get to in a bit. The second thing this shows me about me is that I am faced with very real spiritual dangers. There's an implied warning in this verse. There are temptations out there, right? Lead me not into temptation. That means that there's temptations and there is evil. The meaning of the word temptation in this verse receives a lot of like consideration or controversy, a little bit of controversy, I guess, by commentaries. And mostly because of a theological problem or a perceived problem, theologically, that we'll get to in a bit. But it's a big question. What does the word temptation mean? It can mean something like the word itself in, in Greek can mean something akin to a trial of our faith or a test can mean test. When James says in James 1, 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, he's using that word, same word there. The word translated trials. There is our word translated temptation. Thus the word can mean different hardships that test our faith, but it can also mean temptation the way that we normally think of it. Like in a situation where you are enticed to sin, that kind of temptation I think you can maybe define a temptation as being in a place or a situation or a frame of mind where you are likely to be swayed by sin. And I think that's the meaning intended here. There are temptations, those kind of dangers all around. And we classically think of those temptations coming, we, we get this idea from the Bible, but we classically think of them as coming from three different like sources or areas. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, with its warped values, like what it loves, and all of its promises, and all of its glitter, it seems to call out for our affection and for our worship. This danger comes in so many forms from the world. I mean, the love of money, the love of stuff, the rejection of biblical values. Like, the world is there screaming Surely you won't die if you eat that. All over. The world is a dangerous place when it comes to our spiritual lives. And just as an aside with the world, one of the things that we do foolishly is steep ourselves in those values by the things that we watch and the things that we do. I, you cannot spend all of your time watching Netflix or whatever we stream from these days and then come away with a different worldview. <laughs> It'd be hard anyway. So the world. But temptations don't necessarily come from the outside. Uh, if you've lived long enough, you, you know by experience that you actually don't need any like, outside spiritual influence for you to be enticed to sin. You don't need anything else for your heart to be tempted. Your flesh and the desires of your flesh are a major source of temptation. You can be on a deserted island all by yourself with no outside influences and your heart will still be prone to wander. You have the flesh, your flesh and the desires of your flesh, they are a major source of temptation. So the world and the flesh. Listen to how both of these are kind of brought together in a warning in 1 John. So 1 John chapter 2, we'll display it. You don't have to turn there. I just want to reference it. First John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. It says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it's not from the Father but it is from the world. So the world presents a a massive danger for the Christian and the Christian presents a massive danger for the Christian. But there is a, a, a danger more here. There is the devil. Now it's hard to tell, back in Matthew 6, 13, it's hard to tell whether that should be translated but deliver us from evil or whether that should be translated, deliver us from the evil one. The Greek could go either way, and it's technical. I won't explain why it can go either way, but it has to do with the gender of the word evil, and it's, uh, it could go both ways. I kind of think the latter. I think he's saying the evil one or the devil, but it's not a, a huge deal because there isn't much difference between evil and the ultimate source of evil, which is the devil. Now, it is important that we see that there is one who opposes us. All right, it's important to know that there is one who would just love to see you swept away by sin. No one talks about him anymore. No one talks about the devil these days. It's as if we don't really believe that he exists. We are a sophisticated society. We don't talk about the devil, but he does. And you should beware, he would love to see you fall. Listen to 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So there's a place, uh, there's a few places, but there's one place in particular that I like in the outdoors that I like to go to in the morning sometimes, especially during the fall Uh, so that I can, you know, think and observe nature and, you know, be near trees. And uh, it doesn't make sense to you, but it doesn't matter. I I like to go out to a place, and right now there is a skunk that's there. And I can smell the skunk when I come in. And my son was with me the other day, and he saw it when he was out there. And so there's a skunk there. And I tell you, uh, because I know that that skunk is there... I am super alert, you know, because I come in before it gets light. And so um, I am super, I'm not just wandering around in a cavalier fashion. I don't want to get sprayed by that skunk. And he's just a passive danger that would just mess me up for a few days, <laughs> right? I don't want to get sprayed. So I, I, would, I would love to kind of help him finish his journey here. <laughs> you know? So I'm looking out for this skunk, I don't want the skunk to get me. And it's just a skunk. It's not that dangerous. The verse I just read says the devil, who is very dangerous, is on the prowl, not passively, but aggressively seeking to waylay you. How can I walk in a cavalier fashion? Through this life without caution when the devil is prowling about like that. There's a very real danger. If you've never read C.S. Lewis's short book The Screwtape Letters, I highly recommend it. Read, read that book. It's, it's like $2 on Kindle. Really good book. I found it super helpful over the years. I've read it several times. The premise is, is, is ingenious. It's It's a senior tempter writing to his new nephew demon who's new to the game of tempting people and he's coaching him on how to tempt people most effectively. And it's kind of a, a reverse lesson for us. You know? he, he teaches us how they do it so that you could avoid the dangers of it. But in the preface of the book, at least in his last edition that he wrote before he, he died, that he published before he died, Lewis writes this. Okay? He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils or about the demon, about the devil one is to dis- disbelieve in their existence and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them they themselves the devils are equally pleased by both errors and hail the materialists or the magician with the same delight i think he's right i think he's i think he's right we either act like he doesn't exist or there's this really strange obsession with the devil and his demons. And you see that a lot in October, by the way, not healthy, but where we as Christians ought to be, the biblical approach is to recognize there is a very real danger and we must resist him and pray to the Lord for his protection. There are spiritual dangers all around the world, the flesh and the devil. Now, the third thing we see about ourselves here is what I've mentioned already uh, in my introduction. We are weak and dependent creatures. We're not as strong as we think we are. We need God's help to both keep us from being in places where we might be swayed by sin, lead us not into temptation, and we need his help to deliver us from the danger of the evil one. We cannot do this alone makes it clear we're not as strong as we think we are. Sometimes we get it. Sometimes we see how weak we are. The hurricanes come and they remind us. At other times, we just get puffed up with pride and we think that we're strong. And I just have to remind us. I want to remind you. I need to remind myself, we are not as strong as we think we are. And that is important for you to know. You know why? You know the why that's crucial for you to know? I, I could answer, but I'll, I'll let Paul answer. 2 Corinthians 10, 12. Paul said, Let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. That's why. We are weak. It's important to know that. The fourth and final thing I can learn about me in this passage, Matthew 6 13, is that it's not just about me. I'm not the only one who's a sinner. I'm not the only one who's faced with very real dangers like the world and the flesh and the devil. I'm not the only one who is weak and dependent. I am in a massive company of people who are exactly the same as me in all those regards. And I can see that in Matthew 6, 13, by the way he uses plural pronouns. Lead us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is another reminder and it's laced all through this prayer that this is not something I only pray by myself. I'm not in this by myself. I don't have to pray this by myself. This is how we pray for one another at every turn. This is how we ought to pray. It's how we ought to pray for one another. I should be praying for you that God not lead you into a place where you might be swayed by sin's enticements but instead that he would deliver you from the the sway of sin and the hand of the evil one. And you should be praying for me that way. My sense is that this is one of the most urgent ways we need to pray for one another. More urgent than help them get over COVID. More urgent than help them pay their bills. We need to pray, Lord, help us follow you and not the way of the world. And we ought to pray this together. We need God's help together in overcoming sin and temptation. We're in this together. So those are the four things we learn about us in Matthew 6, 13. We are sinners. We are faced with very real spiritual dangers. We are weak and dependent, and we are in this together. Now, what does this verse teach us about God or tell us about God? It it tells us two great and glorious things, two very encouraging things. First, it teaches us that that God leads us. He is God. He leads. The psalmist says he directs our steps. He leads us. We pray to him this way because we know that we are not on our own. We're not on our own. We're not just left by God to figure this out somehow. He's just up there observing passively. God leads us. And we can pray for him to lead us out of sin's grasp, and away from the devil. Now I should address uh, the theological thing that people wrestle with at this point. The, the problem, as some see it, is that this verse seems to imply that God might lead us to sin. Right? I mean, you think of the opposite. It's saying, lead us not into temptation. Well, maybe if we, he, he'll lead us into sin. Or in other words, just to put it real directly, some think that this could mean God might tempt me with sin. And the problem we have with that is that we know that James 1.13 teaches us that God does not tempt anyone with evil. That cannot be the way. We understand this first. Listen to, listen to James 1, 13 through 15 It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It's really clear, right? God does not tempt with evil. God does not, like, He's not in heaven, like, setting it up so that you will fail by directly tempting you with evil. It's not how God works. But we also know from several passages of Scripture, and this is where it gets complicated and hard to understand, but we do know that God does sometimes lead us to places where we are exposed to temptation. We know that. I mean, if you want to see an example, there's there's several in the Bible. I'll mention two famous ones. Flip back to Matthew 4, 1, just two pages. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Note that, okay? God led him up to be tempted by the devil. God was not tempting him with evil, but God led him into a place where he would be tempted. God is never the one who tempts, but he might lead you into a place where you could be tempted. That's, that, that was his will for Job, right? Job was led into a place where he was tempted. And for Jesus, and sometimes for us, But along with that, you have to hear Paul's encouragement about this, okay? The hope that we have in those kinds of temptations. It comes from 1 Corinthians 10. I know we're reading a lot of verses today, but hopefully it'll be helpful to you. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13. It says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. We read that already. Know that you're weak. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's how God leads us away from temptation. He provides an escape so that we can endure it and not fail, not fall. By the way, that does not mean, that verse does not mean that God will not give you more than you can handle. That's, that's not a great way to think about that. Like some people read that verse and think, man, that means God will never give me something I can't handle. Read this carefully. The reason that you'd be able to endure it is because God is faithful and he will provide for you what you need in that moment. It, that, that ability doesn't come from you. It comes from God and his grace. But this is how God leads us away from temptation. I I think essentially what we're praying in Matthew 6.13 is that God not let us be in a place where we will give way to sin's enticements. This is us praying, Lord, keep me from falling into sin. Keep us from falling into sin. Help us to honor you and worship you alone and seek holiness and not give in to the thousands of ways that our bodies desire to dishonor you. That's what this prayer is all about. And there are two sides to this theological coin as you put them together. The head side is God never tempts us with evil. And the tails side of that coin is that we need God's help if we're to avoid sin. And the implication of that is that we have only ourselves to blame when we sin. And we have God to thank when we overcome sin. Lead us not into temptation. The second thing we see about God in Matthew six thirteen is that he is our deliverer. We pray to him to deliver us from the evil one and from evil. And we pray to him like that because he is that to us. He is our deliverer. There are three senses in which God delivers us from evil and from sin. You can, you can think of them as the three time frames of God's grace, past, present, and future. And let me just quickly summarize them for your encouragement. God has delivered us from the power of sin, has delivered us, past tense. Romans 6 teaches us, Cody read it this morning, teaches us that because of Christ and his death and his resurrection, we have been delivered from sin's grasp. You are dead to sin in Christ. He has delivered you by his body, by his blood. When you turned by faith to Jesus Christ, you were delivered from sin. That is a glorious past tense truth. We're going to celebrate that in a little bit as we partake of the Lord's Supper today. God has delivered you through Christ. You're no longer a slave to sin. You are free. But of course, the subject of our day is our present day ongoing struggle with sin. We are free, but we still live in a sinful world. We still have a flesh that sometimes desires sin more than it desires God. And the devil still roams about like a skunk. Like a lion. It's obvious that we still struggle. But on this score, the truth is wonderful. God delivers us from sin's lingering grasp day by day as we trust him. As we turn from sin and turn to him, he delivers us. The prayer in Matthew six thirteen 13 is, is couched in that reality. God delivers us from day to day sin as we seek him. He gives us the power not to sin. Galatians 6.1 says that if we walk by the Spirit, that is, if we walk under the control of God's Spirit, we do not fulfill the desires of the flesh. We are free. God delivers us in the present tense as we turn to Him day by day, moment by moment, by faith, and in the future. You know, the glorious reality that ought to give you hope this morning is that one day, that struggle that you feel with sin will be no more. Imagine it. You won't even be tempted by sin. There won't be a single impulse in your body that wants to do something that God hates. There will be a day when I no longer struggle with sin. God will deliver me, and he will deliver all who have faith in him, finally and decisively, and then we will struggle no more. There won't be even the tiniest impulse to sin. God in the future will deliver us. A hymn that we sing often here celebrates that reality. It says, Oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face full arrayed in blood-washed linen. How I'll sing thy sovereign grace. God is our deliverer. He has delivered us from sin's power he delivers us day by day from sin's enticements and its influence and temptations and one day he will decisively finish this and deliver us forever from sin's influence even the presence and temptation to sin and you put all that together everything you can see about God in Matthew 6:13 and you know what we have we have the gospel I am a sinner I am faced with very real and potent spiritual dangers. I am unable to save myself or free myself or deliver myself. I am weak. I am insufficient. There's a hurricane. Hurricane Adam. But God, he is able. He is strong. He is able to lead me on straight paths. He is able to deliver me from evil and he has done it. And he is doing it and he will one day finally do it. That's the good news. And this verse, along with all of the Bible, beckons your heart to trust, to pray like this. I need your deliverance. Deliver us from temptation. Lead us not into the path of temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the gospel. Is your hope in Jesus, friend? You're not as strong as you think you are, but God is stronger than you think he is. This week, I think it would be good for us to feel the hurricane coming on and to busy our hearts preparing for the high winds of temptation by turning to the Lord by faith. Let me just leave you with, I don't know if this will be helpful to you, but we seem to resonate towards things like acronyms. Let me leave you with three Ps that might help you as you feel the hurricane of sin in your life this week. Three Ps. First is pray. Pray like this. Pray to God that he would lead you away from sin's sway and deliver you from evil. Pray. Pray before you feel tempted. Pray in the temptation. Absolutely. But pray before you feel tempted. I have a good sense that you will be tempted this week to sin. Pray now. And pray in that moment. In the moment of temptation, sin seems so glorious and good and satisfying. Pray that God would open your eyes to the reality of what sin really is. The world says it. The world says it's good. It's satisfying. It's helpful. What it is is destroying and unsatisfying. And when it gives birth, it is death. So pray. In second P, Preach. Preach the truth of God's deliverance to your soul. Preach the gospel to your soul. Jesus has freed you from sin. You're not under the shackles. You had the shackles on your wrist. They've fallen because of Christ. Preach the Bible's promises to your heart. That will help you. Preach until you believe it. And it helps me to go to the scriptures and read the promises of God. Read Romans 6, 7, and 8 helpful, pray, preach, and then pursue. You, you can't just not sin. You gotta turn to something. You gotta turn to someone. Pursue Christ. Pursue God for real. Pursue his will for your life. You know, every time you sin, you're trying to be satisfied in something that doesn't satisfy. You know the answer to not being satisfied in what doesn't satisfy? It's to turn to God and be satisfied in him. He is satisfying And don't do these things alone. By all means, pray, preach, and pursue, but don't do these things alone. Remember the pronouns. Lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us. We are in this together, friends. Let's fight this war together with wartime urgency and not let sin, not let the devil spray us. You're not alone. Seek out other brothers and sisters in Christ. And let's get through this storm together. So we're going to do a couple different things here. We're going to hear how Christ, through his work, has delivered our brother, Joe Creesh. I'm Really excited to hear you come and share in a moment. And then when he's done, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. I'll, I'll come up and I'll lead that part. But now let's pray. And then you come, brother. So Father, we, we come to you now and we're thankful for your grace. So thankful. We are not able. We get it. We get it. We're not able. And we rejoice in the reality that you are. And so we turn to you by faith. We trust in you. We trust you in the work that you have done on the cross that has delivered us from the penalty of sin. And we're trusting you right now for the work that you did on the cross, which delivers us and the spirit that that enables us to be free from sin's power right now. And Lord, we look forward to the day when you will one day come again and you will set all things right and we will no longer feel the presence of sin. Help us, Father, to fight sin. Realize these truths and turn to you. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Jesus' name, amen.